Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the commentary for Dixie Stenberg and the Brassy Battalion. I messed up the title, didn't I? Well, you won't ever have to worry about that again now, so. Dixie Stenberg and Brassy Battalion. Oh, forget it. You know what it is. <laughs> With me, as always, uh, pick Bruce first, the assistant director, Bruce. Hello, Bruce. Hello. And the writer, Jeffrey Bridges. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello, gentlemen. And we're in the final episode. Yes, here we are. So when I originally read the script here, I uh, I thought there were some pretty interesting choices made as to the course of the lives of the characters. Christian Bay so, says the Umket trip Go. Bill <laughs> Young. Well, I don't know uh, exactly what, what you want me to uh, say about those at this point. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say here that um, it was a, uh, a decision I, I wrestled with whether or not to put these credits first. Um, I had, had them at the end initially, and then I moved them up to the beginning, and I moved them back to the end, and I knew uh, with the ending this episode has, I couldn't do the standard credits for the show. And have all of the little, you know, characters talking to each other between the actual credits. Because that would, you know, ruin the end moment. And um, so it was something I talked about with uh, Chris Britton, editor of the, the scripts. And uh, we, we talked about it and we kind of both agree that it would be better to move it up to the beginning. To better offset it because there's a lot of things about this episode that are different from every other Dixie episode. And so this kind of lets you know right from the very start that this is going to be different than everything else you've heard leading up to it. So, well, it is that. Yeah, so that was uh, the, the reasoning behind that, and uh, we felt the end had more impact that way. To just let it end right at that very end bit and cut off the files, so. Yeah. In summer of 1947, okay. a Plus, I will tell you that it, from a writer's standpoint, at least from a reader watching what the writer does standpoint, uh, there is a great setup in there. It's like Samuel F. B. Morris would be proud of you for telegraphing exactly what's going to happen, followed by, in I think no more than two or three lines down the road, the famous Deus Ex Machina that just. You know, it's like something happens and then something happens to accommodate it, and then the whole thing moves on from there. It was a classic, like, Muhammad Ali one two punch thing. I'll mention it when it hits. I'll say thank you, but I'm not sure what you're talking about. I'll point it out when it happens. Seth says something is going to happen and then it happens. No, no, no. Actually, no. Dixie says something will have to happen to make this happen, and then Seth says, and lo and behold, something happens. It's like, oh, holy crap. Okay. Whatever. Well, somebody said something. Somebody else thinks it happened. There must be five of them for every one of us. Gherkin. Ah, Gherkin. I'm going to miss Scal's Gherkins. I want to say uh, here at the beginning, when we're listening to all of this chaos, and, and throughout there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, action stuff going on, and you guys just you totally blew me away with that stuff. I mean, the mixing and the sound effects and the timing and everything, it was all just... I couldn't have asked for it to be any better, so you, you totally kicked ass. <laughs> so the uh, in the script, um, that little change from Geist to Rennie is two lines interrupted by the short fizzly noise, which you all heard. But uh, what is it? It's Cat Pride, isn't it? I keep forgetting. Yes. Yeah, she just did it all. She did the transition herself. So you know. It's pretty tough to do, I can imagine. What I'm doing. Of course, it made the applying the filter to her voice was, as Geist a little more difficult, but... <laughs> and though the mighty well, that's why God made control tracks. They, well, it worked out fine. 
its precious little real estate when running for your life from a murderously enraged reptilian leviathan. I don't think there's actually that much room on top of the, the Empire State fight. Building, but no. no I mean, there's the observation deck, you yeah. know, and it goes That's around the entire building, but it's not foe. that big. No, so. I would not. Formidable. <clears throat> yeah. Their hulk's got the same alloy and plating just like the Amber Avenger. They're bulletproof. What about rockets? This Mustang I borrowed came fully stocked. Uh, Borrowed. Money. That's a euphemism for something. Oh, wait, he was giving it. They gave it to him. <laughs> yes, they did. Him and Ben. Izana. Izana borrowed it. <laughs> Those aren't great odds. That only really gives us two rockets per beast. Yeah, but what if we miss? We so, wait, ten for each of us. Cannot and there's what, seven of them, six of them? Orders, Dixie. Through clenched mm, teeth, Dixie Stenberg, yeah. pilot and captain of the first Frenchy Battalion six, Fighters. So that's sixty. Well, that's a lot of beasts. Yeah, I think no there was. It was in there somewhere. Um, maybe it was at the end of the last episode. I don't remember now. Yeah. Uh, but somewhere in there, I, I put in a rough. Yeah. Estimate from the announcer, I think, about how many of them there were. Yeah, so. I'm not. Yet, I'm not nitpicking. I'm just pointing out that's no, no, a lot of beasts. Yeah, well, it was something. I, actually, I was kind of annoyed with myself for for actually mentioning a number of beasts somewhere because then I had to actually figure out how many rockets each person had and how many they could shoot down and who would shoot down the most and who would miss more. And it was a pain in my ass when I was writing this episode. Yeah, so I, <laughs> it would have been better if I'd been a little more vague there. But hey, a lot of big words here for Seth. Go ahead, Bruce. Sorry. Uh, it says the unseemly writer's prolapse. Whoa. Over the bright lights of Broadway, the delicious Lily LaRue protects her I, entertainer. Yes. <laughs> I know that's a word. Delicious. And I can it figure is. out what it means. It's just, whoa. <laughs> I'm not about to let you creatures destroy This was uh, uh, something I had wanted to do, too. Um, probably, it was a, a concept I came up with maybe three or four episodes out from the end. Um, after, the I mean, obviously, I knew the whole time the that the last Joseph battle was going to happen in New York, and I thought it would be really cool to tie the characters to New York landmarks or, you know, no famous parts of New York. Right. Uh, just, just to sort of, you know, uh, tie the two things together. So. So one thing to to completely change the subject because that is cool, but I also have something cool. Um, for each of these sections, so the 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 fighting section where each character is fighting, I start with a the flyby, have a lot of they have their little speeches, and then and then bash bang crash boom rockets aliens, and then they end with a flyby sound too. So it's sort of like a camera zooming up to them to Over have their the little speech and then right. show their action and then move on. The benevolent Thomas Galen yeah, I, when I was uh, putting that in the script, the little sound effects used between each of them, I just kept changing the order. They're the same sound effects yeah. between each, but I kept changing the order because I was like, I don't want you guys to think I meant like for it to sound exactly the same between them. And it doesn't, and it, it sounds great. So, I mean, yeah, this is more of the... The awesome the sound effects work that you guys did that I was just talking about it. It's just yeah. Well, I would. It's just awesome. If you had put them the same, I would not have done them the same anyway. <laughs> good, good, good. Those people come here in search of something better, to live in peace with one another. This is a very um, non-Soviet speech from Adarchenko here. It is, but you know he's the one that's the. Uh, 
the most outside the of the, the, the city, battalion, I would think. You know, these are the ones that like come the longest way. I mean, yeah, Lily's from Canada, Denver, but, you know, Canada, those, everyone knows. It's kind of like America Junior, so it's not that different. Oh, you would just offend an entire country. It's from The Simpsons. It's a joke. I was making a reference. Yeah, sure you are. I love Canada. I'm sure The Simpsons offended the entire country, too. Hell, if it was South Park, it would be Blame Canada. I mean, right, good point. They got nominated for an Academy Award for that song. So, there you go. Nice music out there. Thank you. It was. And now, a word from our sponsor, the champion of industry. And the, the muffled, uh, the way you muffled the sound effects here was very nicely done. I just ran it through the filter underwater. No, no, no. Same deal. You see. Yeah, and this here is uh, one of the other big changes of this episode is that it's the only Dixie episode that doesn't actually have a commercial. And also, so. you can hear the fight happening outside. Yes, yes. What's that racket? So this is where we get to... Thank God that sounds good now. <laughs> yeah, as I was just going to say, uh, this is where we get to give thanks to Jeffrey... Uh, not Jeffrey, um, Jerry Crawford for uh, turning around some good lines after some hardship on the previous set. You know, kudos to him for stepping up there. Yeah, unfortunately his uh, recording setup had changed and he didn't have stuff with him and his lines had some issues, but... Man, to his credit, he got them fixed and turned around like in 24 hours, and so he, yeah, yeah. it was it was really awesome of him. Yeah. So. To the other side of the studio. And by the way, you actually wrote that in, and he actually said it that way: "Arrowed plane." Oh yeah. That's that's um, uh, you've done that before with uh, the bowling yes. de balls. Bowling de balls and uh, base de ball bats, and uh, yeah, that's a, that's a no old thing. Beastly rocket ship came crashing right into this very studio. So the observant among the you listeners will notice that the background helping. noises have gone away. It's yes. Opening. My word, it is. Shouldn't we be? Uh, that was a, a gag I thought Apparently of right as I was actually scripting it, and I thought maybe that would actually come off kind of funny that it's an audio show with no sound effects because the Foley department got crashed. Yeah. So. The controls. But if I don't give up on us. Wait, wait, wait. By Jove, I've got it. I see. And it was also my uh, my one key to getting Freudenberg in the show because, unfortunately, he's back in California. Right. There was no way, story-wise, to work him in except for this. And I wanted him to at least have a, a, an appearance in the show. So. Yeah, I was just going to point out that I think about half of these are, are ad-libs on Pete's part, or he adds on to the end of them or something. On a Foley department. And about time to. Well, and I was wondering if you might. <laughs> I might know. <laughs> I got one. You on with the show? Well, yes. Yeah, I've been listening. How else should I stay updated on Brassy Battalion's exploits? Indeed. How could I not help? Dixie needs us. She does. Right. So, you are using the Umkit Industries Radio Studio Kit 253B. He's really good at the, um, that R roll. Yeah, the right. <laughs> The oh, oh, hey, I didn't realize that was an ad lib there. <laughs> the end of it, yeah. He just, he just kept going. Yeah. Oh, of course. Thank you, Mr. Freudenberg. And the background noise comes back in. 
A beastly Were you standing really far away from the mic on that line? <laughs> yeah, I ran across the uh, room and I like cupped my hands around my mouth and sort of shouted it towards the microphone. Well, it, it, it makes a lot easier to do. <laughs> yeah, I thought oh, that might make it a bit easier. Yeah, so for actors out there who are listening, if you have a line that's far away, go far away from your microphone. It, it makes the director's job easier. And it actually sounds like it should. Yes. So it works. Inside the beast's smoldering rocket ship, a compartment damaged in the crash popped open, and out fell a complement of ray guns. Oh, uh, I see. We must. I forget what sound effect I use for the ray guns. In the conflict, we mm. must help Brassy Battalion. We have to help. We couldn't. We it sounded very greebly. <laughs> greebly, that's a good word. That's my word, yeah. And then for you know, it's like those little trinkety, noisy, claspy, hatchy things. They're greebly. And this was actually um, uh, the portion where the uh, entire commercial crew gets out of the studio was something I had planned uh, from like a couple of years ago that in the last episode I wanted to get them all actually out of the uh, radio studio and into the fight and yeah. so that all just kind of worked together with the crushing of the Foley department so I just went with that. So. They're paced. That was a lovely line. They're paced. One by one Team Umket raised their right arms in salute. Dixie returned the salute and flew right back into the thick of things. And it was then, through the gaping hole in the studio, that Team Umket was. So this seems to imply that the studio's low on the ground. I, well, I guess, yeah, I, in my head it was on the ground floor. Why, it's the robot! Of some building. Yes. Commercial predecessor. In the robotic flesh. Here, have a ray gun. Don't mind if I do. Now, that was actually a gun. And then they evolved. Ready, girls? So ready. Let's do this. Time to kick some beastly keister. And under the leadership of the brave robot 153, Team Umket <laughs> took to the streets. And down the streets they chased the beast, ray guns blazing. Now, my compatriots in arms, show them some hot robotic justice. Or hot fleshy justice, as the case may be. And from the Ooh, ground, they delay. fired at the rocket ships overhead. Huh. We'll finish you yet, you miscreant vomit. And they sniped at any other beast that crashed down. No scaly creeps terrorize people in my country. And they Fortune Divine. Cover fire hey, and it's another episode where Fortune Divine doesn't get anything bad happening to her. That's true, that's true. Although I think here then you can see why the um, the commercial from 49 was so uh, much longer than the others. Yeah. Because when I was writing it, I knew it was going to be the actual last one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I sort of overindulged on that one to make up for not having one here. I had a lot of fun oh, yeah. mixing up the uh, triplet, third triplet, killing half of the beastly <laughs> forces there. Yeah. You timed it beautifully, yes. That Die, 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 blap, blap, blap. Perfect. Bruce, any comment on the mods on the Beast voice here? 
Mm-hmm. Well, only that um, it required a redo, and, and God bless him for doing it in time, but it really is the same, should be the same set of tones as you always hear with the Beast. It's, 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 it's a too long a story to tell, but it sounds better this way. <laughs> oh, it sounds good. I was just wondering if you had... Yeah. Oh, I could, I could totally geek out, but it'd take ten minutes, so don't do it. Oh, okay. my brethren rend the city to rubble. Oh, yes, please do. If I care. Oh, God, Billingsley, that's so wonderful. He's got the smarminess down, I think. Yes. So, oh, we'll discuss it when that happens. Never mind. Those. <laughs> All right. Oh, it's almost happening now. I'm talking about when Billingsley falls off and we never ah, heard yes. from again. And so yes. does that mean Reginald Umkit Industries presents Reginald Bisley, Billingsley and Zeta Squadron is coming up or what? <laughs> I'm afraid I, I have to remain mum on the subject. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. It was at that very moment that the Amber Avenger came in. Yeah, I, I, we'll leave it up to the audience to decide exactly what Billingsley's body never being found actually means. Yes. And our Dixie didn't hesitate a moment. Eat this, you muck. The rocket soared through the air. Never seen a red flapjack before. What? <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Well, I mean, assuming it did fall 1,400 and 4, uh, 1,440, is it? Um, I don't know. Uh, I looked it up, but I don't remember. That, that's pretty much like it. Yeah, that's, a, that's an ink blot. That ain't, you know. That's a red mist uh, settling gently on the ground. Or, or yeah, as I say, a red flapjack. Yes. Okay. The goop falling all over, and the uh, after the explosion was a, a very nicely done in sound effects. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's actually a hor- horror sound effect of some sort. One thousand four hundred and forty feet. Oh, there we are. Yeah, one thousand four hundred and forty. Okay. And fell. And Billingsley, Steve again with the long scream. <laughs> Did he fade that for you? Yeah, that's just, as far as I know, Bruce. That's him. That's awesome. just him. Well done. And so what she did he did it all by himself. Had also damaged the devices the beast had attached to the Empire State Building spire. They would soon cease to function forever. But before that happened, one last emergency. This was all really nice in here too. The sound effects work in this episode is just extraordinary. Thank you. I thought about having the um, the broadcasting device explode, but I, I don't know. It wouldn't, I don't think it would quite work. Yeah, I don't think it was really needed either. I mean, you got, you know, it, it was clear what was going on, so it worked. But I got four kills. Five kills. Well, there's enough explosions in this episode as it is. That's so. true. Final approach to LaGuardia. So let's see: three, seven, twelve, fourteen, eighteen, twenty-five. Up, and then the Umket guys got, got five, so that's thirty. Hmm. <laughs> oh, so they were it was five to one. That's uh, yeah, I think that was what I said. That they were outnumbered five to one or something yeah. in, the, in episode forty-nine. It's in there somewhere. I think up above you said ten to one, but whatever. No. Oh no. <laughs> I hope not. I, I'm sure it was just unreliable narrator stuff, you know. Yeah, you know, he had he had inaccurate information. That's all. I think, I think we did it. 
right of the nations. What is that infernal noise? This here too, the, the wow, rumble the and everything. That was very nice. The water, the I think that very Independence Day. What yes, Independence Day. Like I think that um, out over the ocean near the horizon. Effect is just something. I mean, it's, I found it on uh, Freesound and don't have to edit it all. I think a lot of people have a bad opinion of Freesound, but I found pretty much everything I need on there. Only this ship, dear listeners, Whatever works. was ten yep. times the size of its predecessor. Great, googly, moogly. Just when you thought it was all over, he's not over. Until Nicely he's stretched. Over. We're damaged and out of fuel. Yeah, she usually is uh, really uh, snappy and punchy with that line, so it was cool to hear her read it slower, yeah. as, as like she was, whoa, you know. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on now. You cannot go alone. That's suicide. Noble of you, dicks. But there's always another way. Please remember the folly of the last time you flew a And here's where Samuel Epi more starts, but, but it gets a lot more deliberate later on. You're damaged and you're out of ammo. I've still got three rockets, and the Amber Avenger doesn't have a scratch on her. I cannot let you. Well, it's bulletproof. Yeah, but they're shooting ray guns and stuff. Yeah. She's just a better pilot than the rest I'm of them. The only she is. Now you five hang back. If I fail, <laughs> please. Hey, you can't. You mustn't. We all need you. All of us. Christ, I told you all to cork your pie hole. Hmm. Cork in the pie hole. Now, and that's an order. <laughs> Do you understand me? Better than pie in your cork hole. Good. <laughs> that just Ooh. sounds dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a cork hole. I don't know about you. <laughs> You'll be the only one standing between that thing out there and the city. You'll have to stop it. It has to end. Whatever it takes. Now, before that thing gets any closer, I'm going in. Dixie shot from the city like a bullet from a chamber, straight as an arrow, on a collision course with destiny. She cruised out over open Destiny? Water. Destiny's the child? Or... Oh, never mind. Blue of the ocean, melding into a sea of tranquility. I'm going to miss the um, overuse of adjectives in uh, the, the announcer's speech. I don't really get to do that in any of the writing because nobody, you know, talks that way. Right. It was always, uh, whenever writing announcer lines, you just toss in as many as you can think of. You just keep adding the adjectives on and yes. let Seth work his magic on it. she wouldn't last long under those conditions. Oh, it's coming up here. The Telegraph of Doom. So this is, the music here is something I have been trying to work into this show since I started directing it. It's, really? It's uh, Glenn Miller, American Patrol, one of my favorite Glenn Miller songs. And it may not be the best music choice for this particular part of it, but it works all right. Was it something that you, uh, like, had listened to before Dixie, or was it something you found going through, like, the California Melodies and G.I. Drive stuff looking for music? No, I've, I've known this song for years. And, oh, okay. And uh, it's one of, like I said, it's one of my favorite Glenn Miller songs. And, uh... It, it did, did also happen to be in the G.I. Jive archive, so it was, I used that. Very good. I used that mix instead of the one I have uh, right. on my hard drive. And there you go. That was that was the this pair of lines that really got me. It's the I'd have to be in. I'd have to drop it inside point A, and followed by Seth with the 
And just then, something happened on the outside of the ship, and it seemed to be opening. It's like, okay, you got the you got the telegraph, you got the Deus Ex Machina. Oh, ooh, okay, this is going to go well. <laughs> It does have, to go back to what you were saying earlier, Bruce, it does have the Independence Day vibe all over this, though. <laughs> it does. Yeah, well, I guess anytime you put planes with aliens and that kind of leads to, yeah, a little bit. You don't have Randy Quaid going Fox 2 all over the place, which just sounds like, you know, Channel 2 up here. Yeah, Randy Quaid was a little sketchy in that one. Wait, he's just a little sketchy in everything. her way to class. And as she passes a row of lockers, a horrible scene plays out before her. Cowering behind books held in trembling hands. And this here, um, obviously, is the, uh, the beginning of the uh, Dixie-Francy relationship that you saw the uh, sort of, I guess, the, the end resolution of... Um, that was back last season, I think, like towards the end of last season when uh, Francie first appeared in the show. Um, is well, I guess I followed the tradition of this show of kind of showing the end of things before you see the beginning. So I can't because they. Uh huh. And of course, the speech patterns are beautifully patterned after yeah. Frank. It was yes. Just, it's yes. <laughs> they were like that previously. I think it was in the 40s, uh, early 40s, possibly somewhere late 30s when Francie first showed up. But yeah. Oh, I just creep myself out. My God. <laughs> Don't even know the uh, the girls laugh effect. It's stereo uh, when the rest of it is mono, and I'm like, I heard it on in my ears separately, and I'm like, wait, what's going into my house? They're behind you, Bill. They call me Dixie Stenberg, <clears throat> but that's anyway. because it's my name. <laughs> you better be careful, though. You worry too much about what other people think of you, and it's going to get you into trouble. But I don't want people to think badly of me. What would they say? You play that game forever. Look at me. Yeah, this was uh, something I wanted to touch on in the last episode again. And obviously by, um, you know, Dixie's final line right at the end of the episode, it's kind of been the theme of the entire run of the show. So it was uh, something I wanted to revisit again a little bit before it was over. Uh Uh, Sorry about all the oil. I just came from shop class. We were working on an engine. And, And the other girls... Don't make fun of you for it. I'm sure they do, but I don't really know because I don't listen. Cause Although, you know, I got to say here, I'm not sure if none. it was called you high school back in the 40s okay. or if it would have been called that when Dixie was in high school. Yeah. It might have been secondary school or that was actually something I didn't think of until way too late to go research. To address, girl. So I'm not sure. Dixie's mind went back even further. And we now find but I'll pretend it was. <laughs> her locks curled and bouncing about so I thought about throwing another um, flashy backy jump. noise in here, but I didn't think it would it would, it would work. I really like the sound effects on the uh, the swing and with the dress and stuff going here. I was worried about that. Uh, not that I didn't think you guys could do it, but I was worried about putting it in the script because I'm like, how do you make it sound like someone's on a swing? Um, but you guys did it, so. Well, it's all about the context. I mean, it, if this creaking, it could have been a like a a, well, yeah, a bar door in a western or something like that too. You know, right? It's, it's, it's darn near the same sound I had on a porch swing in Supergirl. Oh, there you go. Oh, okay. So this is okay. I'll mention it now. I'll be the one who brings it up. This is the first use of the uh, piece of music that you hear through the end of the show, which was something I selected that was uh, written, composed, performed by Tom Stitzer, uh, and I had picked this maybe some 18 months ago, uh, I think. Uh, when I first heard it, he posted it to his Twitter feed, I think. And I really liked it, and I kept it around, and I kept thinking about it, and... Uh, 
at some point, not long after that, I decided that I, I wanted to use it in this last end episode. Um, and I even wrote, kind of like uh, from the beginning of uh, Teen Dixie, the scene through to the end of the show, I kind of had that song on an endless loop while I was writing it. And that's the, uh, I guess, third big, big difference in this episode, is that it's got music that is not period-specific when no other Dixie episode does. And that might be kind of jarring to some people, and some of you folks might not like it. And there was some discussion amongst us um, directors about whether it worked or not or how well it fit. Um, But if you hate it, it was my choice to leave it in uh, and to put it in there. So don't blame Bruce or Bill. That was all my call. And uh, to their credit, they listened to me and left it in there. So, um, But, yeah, if you hate it, that, that was all me. But. Yeah, and that, that explains... Before we give up here... Go ahead, Bruce. Sorry. I say, before we give up, I wanted to give you like a, a real shout-out to Natasha... And, and how that worked with Frank, it's, it's, that's a wonderfully played scene. I mean, obviously these actors never see each other. They don't do this in the same studio. And yet it plays really, really, really well, I think. Yes. Yes, it does, actually. I'm glad you brought that up before we were gone, because I thought Tasha did a, a truly great job, and it, it's important that we mention that. So this was her one and only appearance in the show, of course, as young Dixie. And, uh, right, and she, she sounds absolutely adorable and fantastic. And she does sound a lot like Dixie, you know. Yes, well, there's a, when she's Renee's daughter. Yeah, that's so. what I was going to say. There's a little bit of a reason for that. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying what you said, little Miss Little. And the next day, Dixie put on slacks and a blouse under her dress and ditched the fussy, frilly frock as soon as she was out of her mother's line of sight. Could you be more alliterative with that? (laughs) I probably could have. Don't ask things like that. (laughs) I mean, you might end up with other F-words that aren't probably the best choice. (laughs) And she laughed. Oh, you know, Seth had to redo that because her hair was swiveling. Swiveling? <laughs> he, had, he had to reshoot the line. He, he, he just laid it down and swiveling. It's like, what? The harsh huh? gravity of her situation brought her crashing back to reality. And as her blood raced, she remembered that if we this needed that is what she come back flashy backy noise. What's her calling? I think it works because you but you did put the first one in. So I think as long as you've got the first one, putting in the second one to bring it back, yeah. Okay. I mean that's I, that's why I put it in because we had done it that way all the before and it makes right. sense to to clue the listener in that we're coming back from the, the flashy backy. Yes, exactly. Your, your stack has been popped in the right place. The stack marker worked. Okay, you're good. Wow, you are a giant dork. <laughs> And I do want to uh, take a second here to commend Renee Christine Jones on the performance of this incredibly long monologue that I gave her, which has got to be like a page and a half to two pages. I don't have the script up, I don't remember, but it's really long, and she just completely kicked ass on it. Um, (coughs) Just on her page, but yeah, it is pretty kick-ass. This is this, it, it took, this it is took me an hour to straighten this out, by the way, because <laughs> she had a bunch of starts and restarts, right. and then Natasha was making noise in the background, and it's like a whole bunch of stuff going on. It, it took a long time to put it all together. Well, um, between the two of you, kick butt. Yep. <laughs> Seems to me the best way to do a long line like this is the way you've done it, put beats in every... Every so often, yeah. Give the, the well, yeah, so that they can they can stop and you know, yeah, they have pause points, so they can do a couple of takes of each section and yeah, yeah. Because I've had a couple of long lines in different shows and trying to get through something that long, if you you know, like all in one take, 
is just that, kind of impossible. So yeah, I I just recorded my lines for Soup seventy four, and uh, I couldn't get through you know one block without screwing it up. So. <laughs> My feelings for you are something I can't even put into words. You're the kindest, most inspirational, most amazing person I've ever known. And you've got the most important job of all now. You take care of my boy for me. And don't you ever, ever stop painting. And with that, Dixie flew on. Over the ocean. The it was really tough to uh, write this, um, not just because I wanted it to, uh, you know, really serve the character and the show and everything, and but it, it's, it's, I've never really had to write sort of like, you know, the very final end life moments of any characters I've created before. That was a very surreal experience. Yeah, any significant, I mean, you've killed a whole bunch of people, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's not never been quite the same. Yeah, that's what I'm getting <laughs> What a lovely turn of phrase that was. I think these beasts... I, I messed up on these beasts or as I go on too long, but, you know. stacked at the end of the bay. Well, it's a really big ship yeah. if she's still flying, so... Yeah. It's all right. Deployment, and she had her target. I ain't never gonna hit that with a rocket fired from back here. So... I threw in a bunch of extra flyby noises in here because she's dodging stuff left and right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it was labyrinthian. So. Yes. yes. And the canopy blowing off was a, a nice sound effect, too. I tried to go with a similar sound to the one I used when uh, Aderchenko had to eject. Oh, very nice. I don't know if I did use exactly the same one, but close enough for government work. Uh, I think we're actually having the same conversation about, you know, does a P-47 actually have an ejection seat? I think they did. I think that was something I, I researched back when I was looking up their armaments and how high they could climb and how fast they could go and how tight they could turn and all that stuff. Right. I think they did have them back then. Or maybe if not at the beginning, but by the end of the war, possibly something like that. But. Yep. was her gift. And Dixie was as free as she could ever be. And, um, yeah, that was also uh, my choice, Goodbye. of course, again, to bring the music back in here and uh, tie it back in with the earlier scene to kind of bookend... Dixie's career in flight. And then here you guys blow up everything. <laughs> so that explosion, man, it just goes and goes. Well, again, I found it on Freesound and it was like, that's perfect. The atmosphere, eventually crashing down outside a small New Mexico town. The residents were up in arms over the occurrence. So it took three days to get from New York to New Mexico. Sounds about right. Of an errant what? No, it didn't. Yeah, this was July 4th, wasn't it? And then, no, no. July 7th. It says it, it says at the end that she died on July 7th. That was the events of the day, July 7th. Hmm. Because like I remember the entire New York thing was all one day. Because I remember that uh, when she flew, when she geoslipped back to, what you call it, to AeroQuest... Mm -hmm. uh, oh. they, the, all the LaRue sisters were out at an Independence Day festival. You're right, they were. I, hmm. It's just an Independence Day vibe thing, you know, it's just <laughs> carried on for three days, yeah, okay? Right. It was a long no, weekend. I worked all that out ahead of time, because I knew that the Roswell thing was on the 7th, and I had, somewhere in there I had figured it out, and then apparently I screwed it up. Oh, dear. Children. Or it just took three days to Archibald land. Well, at least Will Smith doesn't appear anywhere in here, so it's okay. 
the most accurate, acclaimed, and accredited tome of its kind. Reginald Billingsley's body was never found. Frank McGuff converted AeroQuest Dynamics into the Dixie Star. I wasn't sure about um, flight. He runs ending the episode with this uh, here's what so happened to everybody kind of thing. Uh -huh. Um, because in a lot of like movies and things I've seen it in, it kind of drives me nuts and I hate it, yeah. which makes it really weird that I did it. But for some reason, it felt like it fit in here better than just leaving it ended right after the explosion. And I mean, ending the show there, it didn't seem quite right. And so I thought it would be, I don't know, I thought maybe it worked to give sort of one final goodbye to all the characters so I think I don't know I think the listeners need to have this sort of here's where are they now moment I, I tend to agree with you that that uh, these sort of where are they now moments kind of suck but yeah you know that, that hello Harry Potter 7 come on I, I didn't read it. eventually married Iris. So I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> okay, watch the movie part two when it comes out. I, I read it and didn't enjoy it very much. I, I, but anyway. I can't stand Harry Potter, so. <laughs> I know I'm I'm in the minority here, so. How many times have you had a Harry Potter show pitched to you, Jeffrey? Uh, a few. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those shows that we could never actually pull off because we don't have that many British people, right. so it's not something I can really seriously consider. There's the reference to July 7th, yep. The public never knew the true extent of the events of that day. And went about their lives as normal. And that was, of course, um, something that, that I had planned from the beginning. Uh, that the end of Dixie would sort of tie into the little Roswell thing. So, right. I mean, that was. I've had this, this whole thing and the whole ending and everything was planned the first, since right. the first episode. So. Had you always planned to do 50 episodes, for the record? No. No. I initially thought there would be six seasons, uh, and that's when I realized that a couple of the uh, seasons that we only had like two episodes for, there wasn't enough story in there um, to, to last, you know, for like a full season. And so uh, I'm not as happy with the pacing of the entire bit of the show as I could have been, but, you know, I think it turned out all right. And before this is done and we're gone, I want to take a, a second to thank everybody who's worked on this show, um, you know, especially Renee and Seth and Jim, and then especially you two guys. Uh, coming in kind of at the last minute to finish the show off, and you know what? I couldn't have asked for it to end any better than it did, and you made it sound as good as it ever has. So uh, thank you both tremendously. Yes, well, we did what we could. Stay safe, America. Well, stay safe, America. Stay safe, pendant. Good night. Bye bye. <laughs> Ciao.